Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your life. So for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there is a flip book that you can read with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. There is a lot of the print that are highlighted in red. Those are actually links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos, which you can discover and which will reveal how so many of the public have been lied to. very exceptional, covering many fields of science and archaeology. Now, I've done a bit of, quite a bit of work over the weekend on my, that website, so there's a lot of improvements to the website with links that once were not working that now are, which are usually filled with video galleries on a particular topic, such as the one I most recently did on what is inside the human cell, showing all of these amazing functions inside the human cell. Now, of course, I do have also a video gallery right on the homepage there now, which is a five-part series exposing the big lie titled Evolution or Delusion. It covers many fields of science, archaeology, and so on, with some very profound and original answers that you won't find anywhere but from me because God gave me these answers many years ago in the mid-90s. And so I would ask those that are new to check all of that out. This message is for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. And that is through Jesus Christ. I am talking about the very source of reality. And the very source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. And I just described briefly for those that are new that this love is a quality that always freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so integrous and pure that as it were, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love, to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. Only this love could be the opposite of corruption and could be the destroyer of corruption that ensures a destiny that can go on forever without corruption. In fact, even the second law of thermodynamics and science points out that anything left on its own goes in a direction of more and more disorder to complete chaos. And of course, we were given our own free will. We were created as beings that have the capacity to love, not like a robot which is only always going to be from the input 
of man and what he puts together. It will always only be a machine, no matter how much they say, oh, robots are becoming self-conscious beings. No, they're not. Nor will you ever find that will be the case. God created us as those that have the capacity to love. We are self-originating and therefore the source of our own action and therefore self-responsible. We have consciousness, self-consciousness. The very being of God is love, so why would he create beings that are machines that do not have the capacity to love? Obviously not. That are merely able to absorb knowledge and put it together in certain ways and use it. No. This love is revealed in nature by the negative symbol and the positive symbol, which is found in math and electricity and in everything that is created has positives and negatives and male and female counterparts. And so this love is represented in its integrity to judge what is contrary to love as an indestructible foundation and as a symbol of cutting off corruption. That's the negative symbol. But the positive symbol is formed out of the negative symbol. If there wasn't that quality to destroy corruption, you could never have what is positive, which is a destiny without corruption. And that is ultimately manifested in the fact that this love is so ultimate in its perfection that the Creator is able to be a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for created beings like us human beings that have free will in a physical dimension where our rebellion isn't directly against the Spirit of God, like would be the case with angels who are directly in the presence of God, experiencing his love and his blessing, and so decide with their free will to rebel against him, such as Lucifer, or Satan, as they call him. But God's ultimate purpose is to bring us into such a oneness and an unity to corruption that there is this destiny that is coming, which is heaven. And of course, I've written a book on it called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. That is Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. You can get it on Amazon, a large paperback, six by nine, 368 pages from the first to the last page, or in Kindle format where you've got all kinds of links to go to all the references and sources of YouTube videos, etc. And of course, I could talk a long time on this topic. It is so encouraging and amazing. But I introduce all of this to those that are new because this message is for those that have come to know this love. Yes, this love of God that is so great that he is not limited. He can actually communicate with his creation on a little speck of a planet that is like a little grain of sand compared to all the grains of sand in the whole world. Come onto this, as it were, little grain of sand and communicate with his creation like he did to Abraham in Genesis 18 where three angels are there and Abraham makes a meal for them 
And he addresses one of them while they're eating as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God, meaning the ultimate reality, the I am that I am that is separate and above and beyond the creation realm. Yes, and he came in Jesus Christ and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature. That's how much he loved you so that you could choose to repent and receive his love and forgiveness and cleansing from sin through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So, know that you can do that and that this message now that I'm going to share is with those that have come to have the true revelation in their heart of the reality of this one true God in Jesus Christ. So I want to um, begin to share with you about how I share these messages for those that have come to know Christ and others. That I share these messages seeking to speak as the oracles of God because the word of God commands in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When the body of Christ comes together to assemble around Jesus Christ and be more conscious of him in their midst than some program at the front and begins to become his house of prayer and his house of holiness with true repentance, his presence comes down. And we get caught up in loving him and worship him to the point that there's an overflow of utterance that goes beyond ourselves to speak out to the congregation. So one speaks out here as they sense the Spirit prompting them. Another one here, a word of encouragement here, word of exhortation there, a testimony here, a prophetic utterance here, a prophetic song here, just made up spontaneously, not knowing what they were going to say. And there's another scripture that says, Worship God, and this is in Revelations 19.10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so I will speak this message, seeking to speak out of a mindset and a heart set of worship, that the spirit of prophecy might rise in me to speak beyond myself to you and to the body of Christ what he is wanting to say in this particular time. And we are living in a very urgent time. Today is April the 3rd of 2023. And all of us know about all that's going on and how things are coming to a climax. I need not tell you the details on this YouTube video because of the tendency for YouTube to be so restrictive. So I want to share with you that I also cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters using two independent random applications that allow the choice of any possible chapter in the Bible. I do this with great reverence and prayer. And then take those two chapters that are, bear witness with each other to discover the theme, to discover the message, and to speak. And I only spend a half an hour in meditating on those two chapters. All I get a chance to do is paste a few scriptures up there from them. And just trust God to speak. I don't know what I'm going to be sharing fully today. I do have some things in my heart that I want to share as well that are related and measured to this message that 
I believe are important because there are teachers, false teachers, that are subtly leading the body of Christ astray. So that they do not have, they, they tend to dampen the fear of God and people, the genuine fear of God I'm talking about, not the false fear of God. The fear of God that has great reverence towards God because of a great love for who God is. And yes, a healthy fear like fearing the law of gravity as well. A fear onto life, not a fear onto death. A focus onto life, not a focus onto death, but an awareness that without the Creator, we can become less than nothing. In other words, come into a state of being that is in eternal torment, which would be an existence worse than, worse than nothingness. So I want to share with you the two scriptures I received, and I do seek for God to lead me to a right song to go with the messages before I give this message. So I want to bring that song up now and we will worship with that song. And uh, so I want to do that right now. Bring up that song and um, begin to play it. Listen in his presence, 
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful song. Hallelujah. Just going to get that out of the way and make sure everything's okay here. It is. My, I was almost in tears singing that song. I was just feeling such a wonderful, loving presence of God and communion with him. And I just want to now begin to share with you what I received today by the casting of Lot before Yahweh the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we will go to um, those scriptures now that I received and pasted in my notes here for today. Today I received Hebrews 12, which is an amazing chapter. One could preach a long time from so many amazing verses in this chapter of Hebrews 12. And I also received Leviticus 25, and so I seek to see the common theme in both of those chapters as to what God would be saying by his Spirit to you as an individual and to the corporate body of Christ in this particular time. So I first of all want to point to the 
verses that I highlighted in red. First from Hebrews 12, we read in verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. And I want to make a comment about this verse, that yesterday on Sunday I was watching It's Supernatural, and they were interviewing a lady, this is on the YouTube channel, that emphasized this very verse that is in this chapter. And lo and behold, God saw that, and that I was really impacted by that particular topic and concerned to some false teaching and saw some more insight into it. And so I, it doesn't surprise me when I cast lots in great reverence before God that he leads me to that very scripture today. And so that is the one from Hebrews 12 that stood out to me. And then we go to Leviticus 25, which is all about mainly the year of Jubilee and all the different laws that surround that year of Jubilee. And it says this about the year of Jubilee in verse 9. And then shalt thou cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land? And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. Don't ask me why I'm starting to cry, but I feel God's presence on me. Very strong. With love. With love that's melting my heart. With tears of joy. And I don't understand it. So bear with me in that regard. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh, in the day of atonement. Now the day of atonement is probably referring to Yom Kippur. I'm not sure if that is that or if it's referring to the Passover. But it is the Day of Atonement, most likely the Passover, when the blood of the Lamb of God was shed and was represented on the doorposts of the door where they had to apply the blood of that innocent Lamb that they looked after, I believe it was, for 14 days before it was slaughtered. And when Christ died on the cross, they also at the same time were celebrating Passover and they had these lambs that almost became like a pet over 14 days. They were slain at that very time when Christ was slain on the cross. Within that, I'm sure it's probably at the exact time if I remember right from someone that I heard teaching on this. So I want to emphasize, first of all, in these two passages, that there is perseverance involved in both of these passages. In the year of Jubilee, it emphasizes that you must endure the right time when it comes to 
the 50th year before you will experience release from your captivity. If you were sold to your brother because you couldn't pay your debts. But once that jubilee came, you were free. But you had to go through that perseverance. And the same is emphasized in Hebrews chapter 12. And so we read some of what is in Hebrews chapter 12 before we get into the matter more deeply on the blood of Christ. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see Yahweh, the Lord. Here it's probably Adonai in the Greek, which is also used in the Hebrew in relation to God without which no man shall see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, it says. We cannot perceive God with the eye of our heart, even here in this present world. If we're living an unholy life, our imagination, if we're just using our imagination to psych up something, and yet we're living an unholy life, then what we're going to bring forth is not going to bear good fruit. In fact, we will become a counterfeit. If we do not repent of sin and of things that are unclean in our lives, even in our thought life, for Christ even emphasized that our thoughts are important, that they are brought into subjection to the holiness of God, we are called to bring our whole being into captivity to God's love that is transcendent over the self-grasping nature that we have, or tend to have, that has a destructive principle of corruption that can cause a hell-contagious effect on us. And God is calling us as his people to be those that walk close with him in such a way that we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ for the word of God says out of the issues of the out of the issues out of the heart are the issues of life so we see in this passage here the chastening is used by God trials in our lives are allowed and ordained of God if we choose to buy of him the gold that is tried in the fire, if we choose to say, I love my master, I love my Lord, I will not go free. But the Laodicean church did not choose that. They cho chose a false teaching that said, I am rich and increase, increase with goods and have need of nothing. They tended to emphasize material prosperity and equate it with godliness. God can entrust people with material prosperity, 
when they first have brought themselves, have come into such a relationship with God that they have been purified through the fires of trials and so on that God allows in our lives because he loves us so much as his son, as his daughter, to not allow us to become those that end up in a life that is corrupt and destructive. Yes, those that really love their children, love them enough to correct them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now I have seen in the body of Christ leadership that on the one hand is so apologetic that they are never speaking the truth to their congregation or challenging them. I have seen, on the other hand, leadership that is very dictatorial and authority, authoritative, but has no humility in them and beats the sheep and hurts the sheep. But those that are conformed to the image of God's love have that balance of great humility to wash the sheep, to wash their feet, to, like Christ, wash the disciples' feet. They truly with, will lay down their lives for the sheep. They're not in it for themselves, for their self-glory, for money. And I know that God revealed to Dean Braxton in the afterlife, which I've written about in my book. He said, in the last days, the church is going to go in one of two directions. It's either going to become the church of Philadelphia or the church of Laodicea brothers and sisters, may we be those that buy of him the gold tried in the fire. As it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. The true riches, not material riches, the true riches of a relationship with God, that thou mayest be rich and anoint thine eyes with eyes saw that thou mayest see. Admit your blindness and put the anointing of God upon you, saying, pleading for God to open the eyes of your heart. And that you buy me white raiment. You walk in holiness. That you seek to walk in holiness out of love for God, not out of some religious obligation or duty, but out of love for who God is, a love so pure, it could only be the source of ultimate beauty and creativity. One thing I notice is lacking in many churches in this hour is creativity. Creativity comes out of a pure spirit of prophecy. But a counterfeit spirit of prophecy doesn't have creativity in music, for example. And I notice there are really good modern songs. I know of some I really like. But there's a lot of modern songs that are very monotonous. They don't even have great tunes. And the words are very shallow. They don't have depth or meaning. They're not challenging. Maybe not every song's meant to be challenging. And God is calling his people back to a new creativity where they begin to prophesy in the midst of the assembly and a song comes forth that they don't even know the words they're going to say. All they have is a seed thought, but they sense the Spirit of God rising upon them, into them to sing, and they sing it forth, and it comes forth as a beautiful song. Someone should record it. And then build upon that, and then you have 
your own songbook that you form in your own congregation with your own songs. And sure, they can be used in other congregations and the other congregations can bless you with theirs. And soon we'll have so many songs as never before. Wow. Just that as one example. God is calling his people to be brought into such a relationship with him in these last days that we know an abundance of grace as it's described here, looking diligently lest any man fall of the grace of God. And the grace of God comes on those that have a contrite and a broken spirit. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I want to share with you, before I go further into all of what is in Hebrews here, because it's so easy to end up speaking too long. And I really want to emphasize this verse here, maybe without going to all this first, where it talks about, basically, I suppose it's okay to read this. It says here, beginning in verse 18 of Hebrews, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness, and trumpet, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to the God, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. This is you coming in worship and prayer as that song was bringing forth out of a true and a pure heart. You're coming into the very presence of God, into the heavenly so that you're seated in heavenly places. In that realm in your prayers, you are seated. Like my parents are now both in heaven. I'm going to miss them because I really poured my life out to them and helping them in their last days. And so I look forward to seeing them because I had the privilege to honor them to love them, to serve them. And I'm so looking forward because I had such wonderful times with mom driving her around in the car and we would sing old hymns like, you know, or old choruses like, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon his face. Oh, the one who saved me by his grace and forever i will be with the one who died for me glorious day glorious day that will be will be it's gonna be wonderful but you know when we sang together you really do experience heaven coming down and in a sense you are also ascending into an heavenly realm it's a totally different dimension, of course, if you enter into it literally as is shown what happened to people when they die in my book. Afterlife, incredibly irrefutable. 
So there's a contrast between the Ten Commandments that we're given and what privilege we have because our soul can actually be cleansed by the blood of Christ, our soul and spirit, so that Christ does not only dwell with us, which is enough to be born again just if he's dwelling with you because your body and your physical being could be cleansed to allow the Spirit of God to dwell with your soul and spirit before Christ. So people did experience being born again from the beginning and had close relationships with God that were so close like Enoch. Oh, yes, when he went into that other dimension, in that dimension, there's no time limits. So he went ahead beyond. the. So his soul was cleansed because in that dimension, Christ had already died on the cross. Yeah. You talk about all the people that have died and what they experienced. They can go back in time to any time. They can go to the pre-flood world anywhere. They can go way ahead in time. Once they're there, of course, they're only limited in certain things of the future. They can see, God tells them often that they will, he will block their mind from mem remembering all of those things unless, and tell them that he, they, he might, re and he does tell them he will reveal certain things to them at certain points when they're back on earth, which has happened. But you can read about that in my book. But here's the thing I want to point out here is this verse on the blood. This whoop that spoke on its supernatural yesterday on the YouTube channel. It says, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel was speaking from the ground. And I want to give you an understanding that blood is a medium. It is the medium that holds the soul and the body. Once the blood stops circulating, the soul leaves the body. Once you stop breathing, the blood obviously is also becoming inactivated. But the, the blood is the medium, and so the soul or your self-consciousness. I know a lot of people say, mind, emotion, well, as if, yeah, that's part of it. But it's a lot more than that. If you look at the original meaning of that word, it has the understanding of your very consciousness, okay? The soul. This soul. If your soul is in rebellion against God, there is, in the spiritual realm, I'm not talking about the physical realm, the spiritual realm of the soul causes communication to the blood to cause certain genetic distortions so that the falling generation will have a tendency because of someone's rebellion against God, a tendency in their nature to have the same area of corruption or rebellion that happened because of their rebellion against God. Oh, I know it talks about that the children shall, shall not suffer. That's a different issue here. That is true too. What I am talking about is what God says would happen, that he would visit the iniquity of the children under the third and fourth generation. So the blood is a medium that can be affected that way. Now the blood of God did not come from 
a natural father in Mary. It came from God, the Almighty's Yahweh, the Father and the Holy Spirit. So this is the very blood of God. And the blood of God and the soul of Christ was in perfect union with the Father without sin, without unholiness in his soul. And so the blood was also a medium that expressed in the physical realm that holiness that was in the spiritual realm. And through the obedience of Christ, that blood became efficacious as well to have a powerful effect to not only fortify and enlarge that quality that was already perfect in Christ of his soul, but also for that blood to be able to overcome the distortions of our natural nature with his cleansing. And so this is what I want to point out here about this. Is that I have heard teaching that the atonement happened because Christ suffered in hell. This is not what the Word of God teaches. It is very clear that it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And let me explain the difference between human beings that can be forgiven and cleansed because of the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Christ. They can be cleansed, unlike angels, because angels are in the direct presence of God when they are created. They experience the direct stream of God's love of his spirit. And when you're in something like that, there, in most cases, of course, there's no want, desire to want to rebel because you are conscious that you are who you are and you are made so beautiful and wonderful as an angel and that you would be nothing apart from God. You'd be less than nothing if you rebelled against that. And why would you? Because it is so wonderful. It is your ultimate fulfillment and pleasure. It's found in worshiping God and serving God. That is the greatest pleasure you can experience as an angel. But if you rebel against that, like Lucifer did, then that is a direct rebellion against the Spirit of God, which is equivalent to committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, for which there is not forgiveness. And so I want to emphasize that the Word of God does not teach anywhere, in any way, that the atonement happened because Christ suffered in hell. That is not what the Word of God teaches. There is no verses that show that. Oh, and I know what you, some people, I'm going to point out the verses here, okay? I'm going to point out the verses on all of this. But first of all, I want to go to the verses here that emphasize this is all about him being begotten. But first of all, it says this in Acts 13, 33 to 37. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now I know some people will say, oh, he must have ceased being the son of God because it says he was begotten when he was raised from the dead. 
Well, you have to understand that just simply means he was brought forth. He was brought forth into a greater realm of inheritance and blessing. But he was obviously begotten before this because the other scripture also teaches that, as I will point out in Psalm 2 to 6 to 7 here. It says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And there is, and I don't know if that's the one that has the context that shows it was in relation to the incarnation. <clears throat> but one of these verses does show that. That it is in relation that he's being begotten into the world. So he's being brought forth into the world and then he's being brought forth out of preaching to the spirits in prison into ascension, into a great inheritance. But it is very clear in the word of God that he always was and was the very beginning of the expression of God's being of love and creativity. It, he was the firstborn. He was the one that was before all things. This is pointed out in many scriptures and there's a lot of scriptures here to go through to point that out to you with. There's one in Proverbs here that I believe I might have here. Yeah. The Lord, Proverbs 8, 22 to 23, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. Basically, he was the beginning of all things as far as the creation realm. And so this word begotten has no, nothing that says that Christ ceased to be God on the cross. In fact, Christ was always God in the flesh, and to deny that God conquered death in the flesh is to deny that God conquered death in the flesh. When he was on the cross, he did say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that was not because he had a fist of rebellion before God or was not trusting in the Father. For he said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. His soul, his spirit was always in a selfless state of trust, which is a state that is a state of holiness that allowed the glory of God's presence of holiness to abide in union with his spirit, even when he was experiencing the forsaking of God's presence. Now, maybe he didn't experience the presence of God, but his spirit was still abiding in the Father. So, there was always that oneness in the triunity of God that was never broken. This is how he conquered death in the flesh. It says in Romans 1, 4, that he, by the resur by the, that he rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness, the spirit of holiness that was in him. And yes, because there was a spirit of holiness in him, in this state of abiding union with the Father, the Father's glory was abiding in his spirit to raise him from the dead. Now, what does this do in relation to the blood of Christ? The soul of Christ, the blood of Christ, was the medium of his soul in the physical dimension. Now, the physical... The blood of human beings that sins causes their soul to go in a state and a nature that is contrary to God. And so what God does is he 
now can have his blood override the blood of the first Adam that had the fallen sinful nature and cancel it because it carried his very holiness of his soul in it that could eradicate the corruption. When he died on the cross, he swallowed death. Oh, you say he became sin. Only in the sense that sin may have hit his soul and when it tried to saturate his soul, it was immediately canceled by the spirit of holiness that swallowed up the corruption. So to say he became sin is not to say that he ceased to be God. He always was one with the Father. And that is evident in the fact that it says here in Peter, which I had here, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, brought to life by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. He came down there with authority, resurrection authority and power, with a spirit of holiness that could preach the Spirit. Someone teaches, oh, he became a worm. He was no longer born again. False teaching. God never ceased to be God. God never failed to conquer corruption. Yes, he conquered corruption in the flesh. And to say that he became that is to deny that he conquered corruption in the flesh and is to deny and go contrary to what 1 John says, that every spirit that denies that Jesus Christ, that is, the anointed one of God, the one that is the very Son of God, came in the flesh. And to come in the flesh was not just to come in the flesh and fail to conquer, but to conquer death in the flesh. And so we read here, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prisons, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So that's what happened when he died. He came with authority and power to preach to the pre-flood world, etc., etc., and to bring them out of captivity into the presence of God. Of course, the man that died on the cross was also with them in paradise. So it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And that is where he took the judgment. It was in his physical body because it is us human beings do not rebel directly against God like the angels. It is via the physical realm and temptation and so on that we rebel against God. But because there is the blood of Christ that comes from human lineage, but also from the lineage of God, the blood doesn't come from a human but the human lineage does come from a human. We can be replaced in our nature and being more and more with the new nature, which is from the second Adam. So it is important to understand this and not to have teachings that deny that God conquered death in the flesh. Now, you know, I wouldn't want to choose to believe something that has nothing that is backed up by scriptures and tends to imply that God ceased to be God in order to conquer death in the flesh. I don't think so. 
And so I wanted to emphasize that and that the word begotten has nothing to do with the fact that he ceased to be God and then became God again. It has to do with him entering a new realm, a new dimension, being brought forth in a greater inheritance in the resurrection. Being brought forth into the world is another begetting, which you will find evidence for too in the scriptures. And that's all I wanted to share, particularly today, on that teaching that concerned me that it could draw people in a wrong direction. It says here, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. I won't, I won't go on reading this. This is kind of getting off the topic. I know it is. But these two scriptures are very important that we were reading. And it goes on to say, If they escaped, not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And I talked about that at the beginning, how the love of God in its holiness, in its purity, in its integrity, is as it were a consuming fire of judgment. And it is. He is jealous in his love. He has such a wonderful destiny for you. And he wants to see to it that you receive this love, that you inherit this love. So all you need to do, if you've been an heir and believe false doctrines or you've taught false doctrine, is to just confess your sin and say, God, forgive me for believing things or being conceited enough to believe things that are not what your word teaches, that are not found backed up by Scripture that tend to deny that God was manifest in the flesh and conquered death in the flesh. That is the issue. Not only that God was manifest in the flesh, but that he conquered corruption in the flesh through his soul in perfect union with the Father. And yes, he had total free choice. And yes, there was always the potential to choose wrong. But his being was in a state of such union and love with the Father that though there was the potential to choose wrong, he always chose right. Those things don't contradict each other. Any more than we, the more we are conformed to the image of God's love, come free of the deception of corruption. So that as it says in the scripture at the beginning, that since we are in Hebrews, if you read the whole thing from the beginning, which I have here, and I may as well point that out in Hebrews by going back there. It says here, wherefore seeing, we 
also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. See this word as endurance, patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The only way you can endure the cross, the only way you can overcome the deception of corruption in your life is through focusing on who God is and the beauty of his holiness, which is the integrity of his love and the transcendence of that love shown to you in that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, so that you could choose to repent and receive him. And if you were the only one that was created, he would have still done that for you. That's what the people that have went to heaven experienced in a dimension where the love was so great that there is no way you could describe it in earthly terms. The love from Jesus Christ towards them. Yes, it was like they were the only one that he created. That they were the apple of his eye. That's how they experienced this love. And yet they knew that God loved all the others there just as much, but it was felt like that very strongly. So consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against yourselves, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So how do you do that? Not by focusing on the Mount Sinai. Not by focusing on, yes, the fact that God is a consuming fire like he was in Mount Sinai. But we need to see that the consuming fire is so pure, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and not get a distorted fearful perception of God, but the genuine fear of God receives his holiness. It acknowledges that it is good. It causes us to enter a state of awe that God is calling his people to enter in in these last days. He is calling us to return to the genuine fear of God. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing more wonderful, there's nothing more tremendous that is the secret of deep abiding intimacy with God. It's the fear of God that drives one to great honesty before God and transparency. And it is the thing that in births humility that drives one to that place of honesty, which causes a transparency that causes an intimacy, that breaks up the fallen ground of the hardness that we all tend to have through the things we face in the world. We find our refuge in coming before God to worship him in the genuine fear of God. So we're not to despise the chastening of the Lord, nor to faint when we are put, yeah, yeah, this is not just any father, this is God the Father. Yes, you have a natural father and he chastened you, but God the Father loves you so much more that he will be so good in his chastisement, he won't overdo you. The Lord does not subvert a person in his cause, as it says in Lamentations. Yeah, he may allow you to go through great limit humiliations, as it, as it says there in Lamentations 3, where you feel like you're just put through great humility. Well, how could a father do that to their son? Well, if a father really loves their son enough, like the father God does, and most fathers don't, yeah, there is that severity, but it's filled with love. So don't misinterpret it like King David did when the ark 
the priest that was carrying the ark was smitten dead. He became afraid of God. But then God blessed the house of Obadiah, and David had his eyes open. Oh, God is good after all. Yes, he is. He is our Father, and he loves us so much that we need to trust him when he chastises us. And so we go through endurance, but there's a time of jubilee coming in our lives, brothers and sisters. There's a time of jubilee coming in the church when Christ returns, and there's the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. And he's calling us to be those that learn to have an unconditional moral persuasion in who he is, in his being of love, first in his holiness, and then in his mercy and grace. And so I believe that's enough for me to share here. So please, don't be those that have become discouraged and your hands are hanging down. Ask God to make straight paths for your feet and make straight paths. Trust him. If there's things in your life that are stopping you from seeking him, pay the price. Quit your job if it's getting in the way of you following God. Trust him for a better job. Whatever the price is, make the straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But rather, let the lameness in your soul that tends to have discouragement and become feeble in your weakness, let that be healed by coming boldly to the throne of grace because you are not going to hide your weakness from God. You're going to bring it before him in humility and acknowledge it like King David did. And be diligent, lest any person to keep your brothers and sisters from falling from the grace of God. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all. And we'll look forward to sharing again. Support me by purchasing my book or the other one, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which is about not limiting the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from inhabiting your local assembly to bring a new order in the body of Christ that does not limit God, but allows the fullness of Christ to come forth. We're in the time when the dry bones are coming together in the body of Christ and the sinew. And then when all of this happens and the body is brought together in this new order, then the wind of the Spirit of God shall cause this army to rise up and reap a great harvest before the harvest of judgment when the Antichrist is destroyed, as described in Revelations 14, in the last part of Revelations 14. God bless you all. Thank you.